Good morning, church. I am uh, grateful that you're here today. I want to thank Chris and the worship team for leading us in worship. Uh, what a great day to remember and to praise our God together. If you're a guest, we want to just again say thank you for being here. We're really grateful that you chose to be here with us today and hope that you'll stick around after church and give us a chance to visit with you some more. I want to just uh, reiterate something that Chris said at the very beginning of the service, that there are a lot of things going on right now in the life of our church, uh, particularly this Wednesday night. Our new Wednesday night adult midweek classes are kicking off. Uh, if Wednesday nights have kind of fallen out of your part of your routine, I want to encourage you to look in the bulletin this morning. There's some great options available, uh, trying to provide some really practical classes and conversations for you to be a part of that will benefit and bless your life in a lot of ways. And so I want to encourage you to come Wednesday night and be a part of that. Uh, there's also uh, a number of other things that are happening in, in, uh, in addition to uh, the Wednesday night classes that I want you to make yourself aware of and, and be uh, familiar with in the bulletin. I also want you to be praying. Uh, Nathan and Courtney Fears are not here this morning. Courtney, as some of you know, is on bed rest. Uh, they are having their second child on Tuesday. Uh, her, I think the baby's name is going to be Kelly. I hope that wasn't a secret that I just spoiled, but uh, they told me, and I, I, so I, I assumed that it wasn't a secret, but um, it occurred to me that it might be as I said her name. So act surprised if it is. Uh, but I want you to be praying for Courtney and Kelly. Uh, Courtney's had a difficult pregnancy, and I and, know uh, that they're looking forward to, to uh, the baby getting here on Tuesday. We, uh, we begin today a, a seven-week study that uh, I'm, gonna, I'm calling Meet Jesus. Uh, over the last couple of years, at the beginning of each year, we've done a study focused on and, and looking at the life of Christ, helping us fix our eyes on Jesus. So as 2019 begins, we're going to do the same thing again. Uh, last year, you may remember me saying on a, on a couple of different occasions as we studied some different things that if you want to know what God is like, that you need to look at Jesus because Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Uh, I think people imagine God to be all sorts of things, often creating God in our own image. But Scripture gives us this picture of what God is like, and that is Jesus who is God in the flesh. And so as we begin this, uh, this next couple of weeks, we're going to start by digging into that idea a little more and getting to know Jesus, meeting Jesus. And we're going to look at, do that by looking at a series of stories that all happen at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, today's story is in John chapter 2, if you want to be turning there. The stories after today will all be in the beginning chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and I want to just uh, kind of as we begin, just answer the question, what do I mean by meet Jesus? Because some of you might think, you know, Doug, I've, I've met Jesus, I have a relationship with, with the Lord, uh, I, you know, I don't know what exactly you mean. I want you to think about it this way, and this will be maybe a really simple, overly simple way of explaining it, but a lot, all of us have good friends who we spend time with, and then there's inevitably that time in a, in, in a relationship that you have with someone where they're talking, they're sharing a story. Maybe you're in a group and they're sharing a story with someone else or they're sharing a story with you and you say, I've never heard you tell that story before. This happened with my wife and I just the other day. I was telling her something and she said, I've never heard you say that about an experience that I'd had at some other point in my life, right? When you have those moments, what's happening with that relationship that you have with someone is that you're getting to know them better. You're getting to know a part of their life, an angle of their life that you didn't know. Maybe they're allowing you some insight or perspective into their world a bit more. 
And so I want you to think about today and the next several weeks as we talk about meeting Jesus. What does that mean? I I want you to think about it. If you're in, in a place in your life where you think, I've met Jesus before, I know Jesus, then I want you to think about this next several weeks as a chance to get to know him better. That relationship is the most important relationship that you have. And I think as we look at these stories, all of them, most of them, for many of you, will be familiar stories that you've heard, you've read, you've maybe even heard preached on in the past. I wanna, my, one of my prayers for myself and for us is that we'll look at these stories with fresh eyes and new perspective. And it may be that you're in a place where you think, you know, I, I don't know Jesus. And so if that's your place, I want you to consider this an introduction because you're going to get to see some really incredible things that happen in the beginning of his ministry, some stories that happen, uh, some interactions that he has with people that are really encouraging and powerful. And so um, we're going to meet Jesus again, Uh, whether it's the first time you've met him or you're meeting him again. I hope that it'll be a blessing to you as we look at these stories over the next several weeks. So as we begin today, I want to start with a prayer, if you would pray with me. Father, we are grateful uh, today to gather and just agree with the words that we've sung, that you are a good Father, and that our prayer is that you will reign in us again, that we'll know you again, that we will see your face again. Uh, Life, as it happens and plays out for so many of us, uh, our relationship with you, we know, God, can become stale or even secondary, busyness and family and jobs and stress and struggles of all kinds uh, can kind of mount up, and we struggle to see you kind of in the midst of that often. And I pray, God, that today that you will meet us again in this place as we open your word and as we read about Christ, that we'll get to know him in a deeper way today and over the next several weeks together. God, I pray that you'll uh, anoint the words that that I will speak and that our hearts will be opened so that you can give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. And we pray in the name of Christ and the church said, amen. So the best day of my life uh, was my wedding day. My kids' births were pretty great, but with no offense to any of our four children, they they didn't come close to my being as favorite as my wedding day. Um, The ceremony was a time of worship. Uh, Our friend Darren, who randomly happens to be here this week, and I was planning to preach this text and tell the story of our wedding, and Darren and Ann happened to be here. Ann was a bridesmaid in our wedding. Darren did a great job tying the knot, made us laugh, made us cry. Family and friends were gathered. The room was full, and it was an encouragement uh, to see people come to celebrate with us. God was present, I believe, on that day. Afterwards, we had this wonderful reception with food and laughter and more time together. This picture is my favorite picture from our day. We were just babies. Darren's in the blurred background there in the middle. You, you can, he had hair back then, too. Um, and, and so Lana and I, we just, we've just been married. We're walking back down the aisle. There, there is an excitement to a wedding that I absolutely love. It's one of my favorite events to attend. The ceremony is personally my, my favorite part, but the event of a wedding is really such a special thing when you think about it, right? People get dressed up. Love is in the air. Really big, lifelong commitments are made. Vows are exchanged. And it's this time that's full of celebration, worship, prayer, all the things that combine, I think, to make a wedding sacred space. A place where God can work. A place where activity, the activity of God can be seen. And just like in our culture, weddings 
are a big deal, right? But weddings were also a big deal in Jesus' day. The village, the, the, the village life in Galilee was not glamorous in any way. People lived really simply. And the story that we're going to look at this morning, it's important for you to, to imagine a simple, simple surroundings. Life being lived out in a very simple way, not in a glamorous way of any, at all. So wedding celebration, as you think about sort of just the, the routine of a really simple, almost some, probably in many cases, peasant lifestyle, a wedding would have been this break kind of in the action, a break from the normal routine of life that would have just probably worn people down. Weddings would have been announced well in advance in Jesus' day, like ours. And the village would have known about the, the event that was about to take place. Philip Yancey writes this, these words about Jewish weddings in the time of Jesus. He says this, The bridegroom and his men made a gala procession through the streets to fetch fetch the bride's party by torchlight. Then everyone rushed to the groom's house for a feast worthy of royalty. Think of happy scenes from Fiddler on the Roof, a peasant of peasant Jewish families dancing across the courtyard in their finest embroidered clothes, of music and laughter, a banquet tables laden with clay platters of food and jugs of wine. The feast might go on for as long as a week, as long as the food and the wine and the good cheer held out. Truly a wedding was a time of high joy. And when you picture a scene like this, I think you have pictured the scene that we are going to step into in John chapter 2. And so I want to begin reading in verse 1 these words that John writes. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples and they stayed there for a few days. The wedding has happened in John chapter 2 and now the celebration begins. But the wine has run out, a problem that could have proven to be socially tragic at this point for the wedding party unless it was fixed. When I do a wedding ceremony, I, I often tell the bride and the groom in conversations that we have before the wedding, like, it's very likely on your wedding day that something, in, in, in the midst of all your planning, something is going to go like you didn't plan for it to go, right? And most people will never notice that, though you will, and you'll feel like it's a really big deal. So you just kind of got to go with the flow and relax, right? But as emergencies go, like, 
This one may not seem like that big of a deal. It might seem kind of far down the list, but back then, one of the ways that I might describe or kind of compare, I think wine was to a wedding in that day what a cake is to a wedding or a wedding cake is in our day. Like if you don't have the cake, people are like, is something wrong with these people? Like don't they know like that you're supposed to have cake at a wedding? It would have seemed odd uh, or maybe even worse, would have almost seemed like an insult in some way, an embarrassment because of kind of a lack of poor planning. And in your case, it might not be wine that you've run out of. It might be that you've run out of answers, you've run out of energy, you've run out of options. Maybe you've run out of the ability to forgive a person or you feel like you're running out of patience at home. Right, so at this story we step into, Jesus is simply a guest at the wedding. He's urged by his mom to fix the problem. Mary isn't being ugly here, and I don't know how you hear those words as Mary speaks into Jesus' life and says, they run out of wine. She's not being ugly, and neither is Jesus, for, for that matter, when he says, woman, why do you involve me? It's simply that Jesus hadn't planned on this being a time when he would do this miracle. But as Jesus often does, he changes his plans to accommodate other people in need. It's almost as if Mary, like mothers sometimes do, is the one to urge Jesus to kind of kickstart his ministry. It's almost like he's hesitant to get it started. And I don't know how you imagine Mary in this story, but I I think her actions provide a really great model for us. She identifies the problem, and then she leaves the problem in Jesus' hands. We can only imagine what went through Jesus' mind in this moment between when he says, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come, and when he acted. What what went on in his mind between those two moments? Because if he acts, then his time has come, and the ministry that God has given specifically to him will get underway, and it'll get underway, and there won't be any stopping it until it gets to the cross. Everything would be different moving forward. And so Jesus reaches a decision. Fill the jars with water. So the water went in and miraculously wine, the best wine, the choice wine, comes out. And since we're all Church of Christ people here, and I, have, you know, I know we all have very little knowledge about wine, I'm just going to say, like, this is a lot of wine, okay? It's okay to laugh at that joke. That was... A, that was you can laugh in church. There were some estimates would have been like, this would have been like over 900 bottles of wine. Like this family could have started, you know, their own business selling this wine. This, Jesus didn't just make wine. He made a lot of wine. And he didn't just make any kind of wine. He made the best wine. The best wine was typically served, as John tells us in this narrative, we hear this conversation. The best wine was typically served first early on because that's when a person's palate is most sensitive and someone can tell the difference between really good wine and cheap wine. But after they've had food to eat and they've had something to drink, those details might get missed. And John wants us to catch that the quality of the wine and the timing of its arrival are key. He emphasizes this so much that he even gives us a glimpse into this conversation that happens about the quality of the wine. The master of the banquet gives us the key, I think, to this story and his response. You have saved the best till now. The wine is superior and it arrived at the end. The feast relaxed and the bridal party returned to the celebration. One writer 
observes that John, John doesn't give us any indication, right, that the guests or the host even knew about the behind-the-scenes drama. We know the master of the banquet knew what was going on, and we knew he pulled the bridegroom aside. We know Jesus knows, the disciples know, Mary knows, but we don't get any sense about what else is going on. Jesus is just one more visitor at the wedding until he's called upon to act. No one else may have known, but Jesus reveals his glory, and the disciples, John tells us, put their faith in him. So the disciples put their faith in him because he made wine? Like, what's really happening in this story? No, they they put their faith in him because he revealed his glory. And I, I think that the answer to sort of why they put their faith in him is found in the six stone jars that become the container for the new wine. Jews followed, as many of you know, a burdensome ritual, burdensome rituals, really, of cleansing. You can read about those in the book of Leviticus. One New Testament passage that gives some of that detail is in Mark chapter 7, when the Pharisees question Jesus for not having his disciples wash their hands before they eat. Right? So these jugs were there for people to become ritually clean, which had to happen not only in normal life, but also when you're there at a wedding. So here these jugs are that have been used for getting people clean. And I put clean in air quotes because they weren't really getting clean. It was a ritual ceremonial thing that they did, you know, out of just kind of a habit. And they were used for all these years. And in this, I think, a very poetic way, John announces that the time for ritual cleansing, the time for ritual cleansing had come to an end and the time for a celebration had begun. The time for ritual cleansing had come to an end. The time for a celebration had begun. Jesus is not just making wine, church. Jesus is making a point. Wine is what Jesus uses to make the point that God is doing something new. The Cana story says that God has arrived in Christ and that God wants intimacy with us that will not be stopped by Ritual practices of washing that do not bring life to a person. That only Jesus can ultimately bring life to a person in a way that the ritual practices of cleansing were never able to bring. Christ is the new wine that is superior in every way. The empty vessels that could not produce life are now filled with choice wine that represents the new thing that God is doing in Christ. Jesus is replacing the stone jars and the rituals, and Jesus is replacing them in abundance. And I think what is true about the wedding in Cana this morning is true about our lives too. That God takes our lives and our stone jars, and God fills us up, and God turns the water into wine. And all that's required is our lives and a willingness to do whatever he tells you. And in the same way that this new wine represented the new thing that God was doing in Christ, it also, I think, represents the new thing that God can do in you and in me. Because I think we sometimes feel as though our life, you know, we, our stone jar can't be used. It's, it's old, it's worn out, it's had its purpose, it's had its day, it's had its time, but its time has passed. But the good news in Christ is that Jesus is a guest 
at our wedding too. Jesus is a guest here among us and he, he wants to be more than a guest. He wants to act on behalf of our lives. And he has the ability to do something new, to reveal his glory if we are willing. I don't know this morning where you need Jesus to show up today. But I hope as we look back at this story that, and we're reminded of Christ entering this scene and really changing the story completely, that what we will fe- feel and understand is that wherever we need Christ to show up today in our life, He is here. He is among us. He is with us. And He is interested in turning the water of our lives into the best wine. God has saved the best for last. In Christ, the best is yet to come. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old has gone and the new has come. My prayer as we start this journey of meeting Jesus again over the next several weeks, is that we will see His glory. And that we will put our belief, our trust, our hope, our faith in Him again in the same way that the disciples did. Would you stand with me this morning? It may be this morning that you want to respond in some way to Christ uh, that is personal to you, that you want Uh, to say, I've never met Jesus, and I want to start that journey today. And if that's your situation, we want to meet you wherever you are. I'll be down front. There'll be an elder in the back. Uh, You're always encouraged to find someone around you. I know that there are many in this room that had difficult weeks. Um, I, I for one, was so encouraged. We were singing these songs about heaven as Lana and I and our family remembered her uncle this last week and knowing that Uncle Jim is, is now with the Lord. Uh, that was an encouragement to, be, to me. It may be that somebody around you needs some encouragement. Uh, it may be that you don't respond up front, but that you go find somebody. And I want you to do that. However you need to respond to God, let's do that. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, uh, we love you and we're grateful to you for your love for us. We're grateful, Father, that you've, you're doing a new thing in us and in the world and that Christ has come to be a guest among us, to be one of us, to be a part of our lives. He wants to be more than just a visitor. He wants to be our trusted friend and confidant and companion on this journey. And I pray, God, this morning that uh, those who have not confessed Christ, they might, might start that journey today. And others may just be, you know, may say, well, I just want to kind of recommit to that journey and meeting Christ again. However we need to respond, God, we pray that our response will be to you as we commit to the journey with you. We pray through the name of Christ and the church said again, amen. However you need to respond to God, let's do that while we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for
can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God. Just as I am, just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace, my freedom bought, and now to I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Praise God, just as I am. Seated. 